so you can get podcast boxes mm -hmm. for your podcast name. And if Google recognizes that I am the host of the podcast that I run, I can get the podcast boxes on my own brand set because it understands that my audience are potentially my podcast audience. Today, I'm chatting with Jason Barnard about something called brand SERPs. This is a fascinating and important topic within search engine optimization and for podcasters. I recently read Jason's book, which gave me a much better understanding of brand SERPs. So I'm really excited to introduce you to him today. Jason Barnard is the founder and CEO at CaliCube, a groundbreaking digital marketing agency that through the CaliCube Pro SaaS platform, helps clients optimize their brand SERP and manage their knowledge panel. Jason's first book, The Fundamentals of Brand SERPs for Business, was published in January 2022. Jason is also the host of the podcast with Jason Barnard, where he interviews the smartest people in marketing about topics they know inside out. Welcome, Jason. I'm so happy you're here today. Thank you so much, Kelly. That was a delightful delightful presentation makes me feel important. <laughs> well, you are, and I am thrilled to have you here today. So let's start with some definitions. Mm -hmm. What is a SERP? And that's S-E-R-P for people who aren't familiar with the term. And then what specifically is a brand SERP? Right. Well, it's a great place to start. And I often forget because I use the term every day, all day. Uh, an S-E-R-P is a search engine results page. Now, when we say search engine, we immediately think of Google, but it could also be on Bing, it could be on Yahoo, it could be on DuckDuckGo. Uh, I focus on Google, as most businesses do, and I focus on how I can make how I how I can make a SERP, a search engine results page, look better, but specifically a brand SERP, and the brand SERP is the search engine results page for a brand name or a person's name. So basically what it comes down to is what does your audience see when they Google your name? And you came up with that term brand SERP, didn't you? Yeah, I've been doing this for about 10 years. I coined the phrase 10 years ago, uh, and I've been talking to myself about it uh, for most of that time. And people are now listening. People are starting to understand that this is important, that that brand SERP is your Google business card, that when your audience Googles your name, which all of your audience will do at some point in their journey with you, what they see is incredibly important. What Google represents you to be to them is incredibly important. And you want to make sure that that brand message you've crafted so carefully is reflected to your audience when they Google your name on Google. Mm -hmm. So why is it so important? Well, I mean, from my perspective, there are so many different reasons we should be focusing on it. But the most obvious one is to say, because when you have a bottom of funnel prospect that you've worked hard to get to search for your brand name, you want to impress them. You want mm -hmm. to look positive, accurate, and convincing. But also, I think people forget that their clients will often Google the name to get to the website. 
And what they see, if it's positive, accurate and convincing, everything is fine. But if they start seeing something negative or something that isn't, doesn't work with their mindset, it over time builds up and builds up and builds up and they may well jump ship. So it's also client retention. Mm -hmm. Then also you can look at potential uh, hires who would Google you before applying for a job. You would look at journalists who would Google you to research you. You could look at um, potential partners. Mm -hmm. If you're a startup and you're looking for investment, there might only be one person who ever Googles your name this month, but that person might hold the purse strings to $10 million in investment. So it's incredibly important that you look impressive. So basically, Absolutely. from that perspective, think about it as your Google business card. You're handing that business card to all of the, your audience, whoever they might be, indirectly through Google, and it's up to you to design it. Mm -hmm. I love that you call it a business card, and it is much more powerful than a physical business card that you would hand someone because everything is. is right there. They can follow you to your website, to your yep. LinkedIn, to all of your social media profiles, to any stories written about you, to your podcast, to any anyone else's podcast you've appeared yep. on, everything. Brilliant. Yeah, no, you've totally understood the whole thing. Uh, we don't need to do this interview anymore because you've obviously understood <laughs> is, is the idea of this Google business card is that your audience gets to choose how they interact with you. Mm -hmm. And that's beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. And if we take it a step further as well, um, what what is a beautiful business card on Google? The answer to that is it's rich. It's got images. It's got videos. It's got social media. It's got factual information. It's got your brand message. It's got your social voice. It's got your brand image or your, your, your visuals on it. That means if Google is representing you with this amazing content that you've created, then it sees and understands that that content is valuable and helpful to your audience. And that means your digital marketing strategy is right on track. And if it isn't a beautiful business card that represents you the way you want to your audience, then you're probably getting your digital marketing strategy wrong. Yeah. So my Google business card, when someone Googles my entire name, Angela mm. Kelly Smith, my website pops up first. My social media handles come up next. LinkedIn is close to the, or maybe the first one. My artist website also comes up, AngelaKellySmith.art. And my uh, some images pop up and uh, episodes from my podcast show up at the bottom. The most recent episodes show up at the very bottom. Right. So... I love it. But so I'm curious about but. how much control. <laughs> yeah. How much control do we have over it? A massive amount. If you mm -hmm. if you work at it properly, you can't control it, but you can very heavily influence it. And you can understand which content you're creating is going to appear and which isn't. Uh, if you Google my name, Jason Barnard, J-A-S-O-N-B-A-R-N-A-R-D, you will see that it shows... Twitter boxes, so you, I can immediately put a new Twitter image, uh, sorry, an image on my brand search just by using Twitter, and it takes 17 seconds from the moment I tweet to the moment it appears. With YouTube, it shows my YouTube channel, and I had some videos of me as a musician that didn't have very pretty thumbnails, so I changed the thumbnails, and that changed the visual aspect of my brand search. 
because it's showing my YouTube boxes. Mm. And YouTube, like Twitter, is almost real time, 12 minutes from the moment I post a video to the moment it appears. So that's already two pieces of direct control that I have over what Google shows on my personal brand set. Yeah. Uh, and from a perspective of things like LinkedIn, you can obviously control the title, the description. If it's ranking, you can improve it. You can change things. And then from my perspective, I would also say, what do you want to rank? What do you want to see on that Google business card? And if, for example, I didn't have video boxes and I wanted them, which I think we probably all do, mm-hmm. I w- would need to, A, create quality video that engages my audience, B, put it on a YouTube channel that Google recognizes represents me. And once I do that, basically, I can have those videos, the videos I want to appear. And so those are some simple examples of how you can control what it's showing. Uh, the most obvious one is you mentioned your .art website. Mm-hmm. If you can get that right to rank number one, mm-hmm. you control the top, the center, and that's mm-hmm. the first thing people see. And most people will read that message and digest that message. And as human beings, uh, we read from the top downwards. And generally speaking, we will think what's at the top is the most important. Mm-hmm. So if you can get your website to rank at the top, you get to provide your brand message every time your audience searches your name. Yeah. My .com is first, which is what I want. Ah, and right. okay. I think the .art is like fourth or fifth. Which, which, which is a really great point because you've got two different personas here. Mm-hmm. And Google is happy with that. It understands potentially that it's the same person, yes. but it understands that it's two different aspects of the same person mm-hmm. and therefore two potential points of interest for the audience of that person. Yeah. So you've done it with two websites. We do it at CaliQ with multiple websites. Mm-hmm. It's saying, do I have different personas, different offers that truly deserve a website of their own? And if I do, it's legitimate for me to communicate through a whole website and not just a section and therefore control more of what appears on my Google business card. Absolutely. And these two sites link to each other just once, but yeah, so it is telling Google, Hey, this is the same person, or at least the websites are related. Yeah, sure. I mean, Google's huge challenge is it wants to understand who we all are. Mm -hmm. It wants to understand what we have to offer. Remember it's users. They might be our audience, but when they're on Google, they're Google's users. Mm -hmm. And it wants to understand who our audience is and what we can truly offer them. Mm -hmm. And if it can understand all of that, then it can represent your brand across all of Google's properties in the way that you would want. Absolutely. So you mentioned YouTube and videos. That sounds like a really easy way to start to manage or, or improve your Google business card, your brand SERP. And I did forget that I've got at the bottom of mine because I do share at least my podcast interviews as videos since I record the videos. Right. So what else can we do to improve our brand SERP? Right. Well, coming back to videos easy, yes and no, Mm -hmm. uh, in the sense that it takes time. Yeah. So if you start a, U- a YouTube channel tomorrow, it won't rank the day after. Google needs to see engagement. It needs to understand that it is your channel, and it needs to understand that it's valuable to your users. So you need to be patient. 
and you need to be sure that the content is actually valuable and that your audience are actually engaging with you because Google sees all of this, especially on YouTube. Yeah, because they the own e YouTube. Yes, exactly. Which is why YouTube and Google interact so quickly together. 12 minutes is pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And the reason Twitter is so fast, 17 seconds, is because there is a fire hose of everything that's posted on Twitter goes straight into Google wow. because they have an agreement. Ooh, interesting. So Twitter is very powerful as a way to feed Google with information. Mm -hmm. Also, getting those Twitter boxes where you have the images and the text gives you direct real-time control. Wow. Uh, the easiest thing to get on a brand SERP is images. Okay. Google loves images. It's very good at images. It can analyze in images. It can recognize you. It can recognize me. Mm -hmm. And so what will tend to happen is when you start with this, you say, okay, right, I have just blue links. That's boring. I want to make it more interesting. Uh, if you start a Twitter campaign, you start tweet tweeting every day, engaging with the audience, you can imagine it will take between three and six months. Mm -hmm. For YouTube, let's say the same, probably a little bit quicker. Uh, TikTok would be probably about the same as Twitter, possibly slower, but you really would need a lot of engagement because TikTok is very, 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 very fast. Mm -hmm. But images are the first rich element. I call them rich elements. Anything that isn't just text, okay. uh, so isn't just a blue link text. Images are the first thing Google will go for. Wow. So aim at images, get the images, and then the day that you get videos, you will get videos and images. When you get Twitter boxes, videos and images, mm -hmm. Google will start to think, well, maybe that's too much, and the images might be taken away. They're the first thing to get taken away, mm -hmm. as well as being the first thing that Google will add. Wow. So images are your easy win. Mm -hmm. Then YouTube, Twitter. I, I write for different... Um, uh, what are they called? Media platforms within my industry. Article boxes for an author mm. are pretty easy. And then we come to podcasts. Okay. Podcasts, relatively easy as well, because Google ha has a platform, excuse me, uh, Google Podcasts, mm -hmm. and obviously it leverages that. So you can get podcast boxes mm -hmm. for your podcast name. And if Google recognizes that I am the host of the podcast that I run, I can get the podcast boxes on my own brand set because it understands that my audience are potentially my podcast audience. So I just said images are the easiest target, but in fact, within this specific sphere of podcasting, images and podcasts are probably neck and neck in terms mm. of being able to actually to get it happen. And the nice thing about podcasts is that it's organized because if you have a clean feed, from your website, it pushes out onto all the other platforms. Everything is consistent. Google has the information in Google Podcasts immediately. It can be confident in that information. So it's a very simple thing for Google to put onto your brand search because it's understood that it is you. That's number one problem for them. And because they understand that your audience is interested because they have the data from Google Podcasts, are people listening to you or not? Absolutely. That's wonderful. So you would definitely want to make sure that you are listed as the author in your podcast. Yes. You, 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 you want to make, a, make sure you're host, you're the author, you're potentially the director as well. Mm -hmm. um, one really neat trick with podcasts is that they're distributed, obviously, throughout 
the web using your RSS feed, which is the central um, document of information that all of these platforms use to read from. But you can also add your podcast episode by episode to IMDb. Yes, yes. And what you do there is it's a category, and the category, I think, is podcast. Mm -hmm. Which they added not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, So that's an additional move forwards that you can make is the IMDB, because it was the source of information for Google about films and Mm -hmm. TV, Google trusts IMDB. Mm -hmm. So adding your podcast to IMDB is a very good idea. Yeah. You don't even have to pay for IMDB Pro to list it there. If you do Pro, then you can list your photo. If you don't do Pro, then you can't list your photo. So some other benefits of Pro, but yeah. So IMDB isn't necessary because Google already has the data, but it's certainly a help. Yeah. And from, from that perspective, I mean, one thing I'm seeing as well with podcasts is that at the moment, for each podcast episode, Google shows the show, the, 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 the cover image for the show. Mm-hmm. But you can embed an individual image into the MP3 for your podcast for each and every episode. Some sites use it. I think Pod, Podchaser uses it. Some sites don't. The reason Google doesn't is because most podcasters don't do that. Mm-hmm. As yeah. soon as most podcasters start doing it, Google will show the correct ones because it doesn't want to show repetitive images. It yeah. wants to show a, the, the different images that represent each episode. So a piece of advice I would give is start doing it today because Google is going to catch up and it's going to start using them if enough of us use them. So I agree. Yeah. Everybody together. Absolutely. When you post your episodes on your website, podcast, blog, I highly recommend creating individual episode cover art for each one. It looks so much better on your blog, on the blog page, that is your Mm. podcast blog page, than having the same image over and over again or not using an image at all. And then same thing with your podcast hosting provider. If you upload individual cover art, then that's what shows shows up in Mm. your audio player on your podcast blog. It's so much prettier than having the same podcast logo over and over again. So absolutely. And that's a great point that Google will eventually show the individual cover art too. Yeah. I think all the platforms will. It's it's Mm -hmm. simply a question of not enough people are doing it. And there are two things is number one, you can um, put the image in the page. Mm -hmm. Number two, you can put it into your podcast provider interface. And number three, you can actually embed it and Mm -hmm. make it part of the MP3 file. Yeah, I'm in the ID three, and and if you can do if you can do that third one, mm-hmm. that means that every time the 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 sound file is moved from one place to another, that image is available to all of these different algorithms. Um, I personally use a, a platform called Orphonic, mm. yeah. uh, which is simple and relatively cheap, and then use that to embed the title, the description, the image art, the copyright, my website, so that all of that information is in the physical sound file so that wherever it goes on the web, all of these platforms have got all the information they need to be able to make best use of my episode and display it in the way that I want it to be displayed. Yeah, that's wonderful. Anything else that podcasters should keep in mind? 
you need to keep in mind I mean, from, a, from a Google perspective, which is where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. um, engagement on Google Podcasts is important, mm-hmm. but Google also looks at engagement and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, It looks at Podchaser. It looks at all these different platforms. It looks at Spotify as well. Mm-hmm. It's getting its information from all of them. So don't think Google Podcasts is enough. Right. You need to make sure that Google sees that you are present on these platforms and that the audience engaging with you on these platforms is your correct audience or the audience that makes sense for you mm-hmm. uh, and that they are truly engaging and that it's consistent across the board. And luckily with podcasts, that's taken care of by the RSS feed. Yeah. So the, uh, the the next thing would be to stick on topic. But this is true of any marketing, but especially for Google, if you stick on topic with your podcast, then Google will be able to understand which audience it serves. Mm-hmm. And Google is its a machine, so it's pretty binary. If you're going to talk about a totally different topic and you're going to do it more than once, mm-hmm. create a second podcast. Yeah. Um, so you need to put these things in their different boxes and make sure they stay in their boxes. You can mix and match a little bit, but if you if you do it too much, you're going to confuse Google. I like to talk about Google as a child. Mm-hmm. Um, you're trying to talk to this child and educate it about who you are, what you do, and who your audience is. And children typically find it difficult to understand multiple facets to one individual person, thing, idea and that's part of educating a child is to say for example in your case i have the podcasting facet i also have the artist facet mm-hmm. and it's capable yeah. of understanding it but you just need to educate it you need to present it in as you've done in fact with your two websites is saying it's two different facets that are mm-hmm. very much separate but still the same person right and a lot of times we don't need two websites you know if it's a different service or a course or mm. something, there are plenty of times where it can all be handled under one umbrella. This case, no, absolutely it, not. A- absolutely. I think that, yeah, you're making a very, very good point that I, I wouldn't suggest to anybody go and create lots of websites for no. each and everything you do. But yes, uh, when there is a fundamental difference, when it's a completely different facet, another website is logical, both for human beings and for Google. Uh, right. if, if if I'm interested in you as an artist, mm-hmm. I'll be going to look at your visual art right. and the podcast will distract me. Right. And, and I also, on the whole, don't recommend creating a brand new website for a podcast. You know, if you're doing it mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you put your podcast on your business website right. under a blog and you just type uh, for the navigation purposes, call it podcast. I don't even call mine by the name of the podcast because people are like, what's that? Mm. You know, and and possibly not click on it. If you call it podcast, they know exactly what it is. For Google, you know, then the the page title, um, uh, I mean, the page title can be the name of the podcast, but Mm. in the navigation bar, podcast, keep it super simple. I've talked about that in another episode, so... And it's incredibly important that you keep all your podcast episodes in the same folder. Um, There is an old, old tradition in SEO that you put everything at the root of the site uh, because it used to bring a slight advantage in uh, getting a better place on Google. Mm. That's no longer true. Google likes to have things organized 
uh, ontologically, which just means categorized. Yes. Ontologies are categories. And the more we can categorize with the folders on our websites, the more Google will be able to understand that everything under slash podcast slash is the podcast. I mean, I even use slash podcast slash 2021 slash 2022, which allows me then to have seasons. Yeah. So Google understands that this is 2020, this is 2021, this is 2022. And even without seeing the date on the page or in the MP3 file, it understands that the most recent ones are in the folder 2022. Mm, that's great. Awesome. Or you can do it topically, which is another delightful way. If you're, if you're talking, for example, I talk about brand serfs. So I could potentially have a podcast that talks about the different aspects of brand SERPs. So it would be blue links, it would be rich elements, it would be knowledge panels. And I would do it by category of the different topics that I'm addressing mm. and categorize it that way. Yeah. And then Google would be able to understand the most recent by the order and by the date in the MP3 file and in the page. Yeah. And ontologically, that second idea of topicality is potentially even more powerful simply because Google's trying to understand what topics is this person dealing with? Because by understanding which topics I talk about, it can understand which audience is likely to be interested in me. Mm -hmm. And then we come ooh, to Google Discover. <gasps> okay. Because Google Discover is incredibly exciting, and I'm sure podcasts are going to fit incredibly well into Google Discover. The idea of Google Discover is that Google understands me as a user on Android or on Chrome or on Google itself. And on Android, if I swipe right, it will show me what it thinks I'm interested in. It will suggest things. It becomes this kind of Facebook, pseudo-Facebook, but better, if I might say so, because I don't like Facebook. And it will suggest articles, podcasts, videos that it thinks I might be interested in. And it's surprisingly very good. Does so, this, is this an app? No, no, no. It's, well, it's part of an Android phone. I'm holding oh, up okay. an Android so it, phone. Okay, so yeah, it's not Apple. No, no, no. It's, I've it's, never heard of this before. Ah, okay. It's Google Discover, and it's, it's already pretty big, but it's going to be absolutely massive. Because as well, if you open up Chrome, Okay. Sometimes you will see suggestions of things that you might, you'll see some videos or some articles. Mm -hmm. That's Google understanding what you're interested in okay, and finding some suggestions. So from cool. a podcasting point of view, if it understands that my podcast talks about SEO, mm -hmm. then somebody who is an SEO could potentially have my podcast appear in their Google Discover, and that's yes. on Android phones in, in Chrome. Um, so we're, we're looking at Google pushing content towards us wow. as opposed to us pulling it from Google by searching. Wow. And I think podcasting, one of the reasons Google is so interested in podcasting, other than the fact that it's a huge, huge, huge market, yeah. is that it makes sense mm -hmm. for them when they're pushing content. Absolutely. Well, apparently something like 80% of my listeners listen on an Apple device. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to miss out on that for a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, Apple absolutely dominate. Um, and I think that's because they got there first. Uh, they had the hardware. They had the, the way, the, the, the store, the app store before Google did. But don't underestimate Google. When, when Google no, play a game, they play it hard. Yes. And it looks very much like they're playing the podcast game now. Yes. 
Um, and it, something interesting happened last year. I specialize in knowledge panels, which are the part on the right, full of factual information. If you search for economics, it will explain what economics is. Right. So it's Google's presentation of the facts. In October last year, podcasts got those factual boxes on the right-hand side. If you search for the exact name of a podcast on Google, it will show you that factual box mm. saying the name of the podcast, the description of the podcast, and other related podcasts. Nice. Which means that if you search for – I'm trying to think of somebody uh, – the search engine journal podcast, mm -hmm. for example, my podcast can potentially appear as a similar podcast that that person might be interested in because they're already interested in search engine journal. Nice. That's awesome. Very good to know. Cool. So these are huge opportunities. I've also seen if you search on Google uh, for digital marketing podcasts, mm -hmm. it puts a carousel at the top. Mm -hmm. And the carousel is lots yes. of those thumbnail images, our cover images with the name of the podcast that it feels fits into that category. Yeah. So if you can convince Google that your podcast is the most relevant, potentially the most popular, but you don't need to be the most popular to be the right. most relevant, Yeah. then you get that presence in the carousel once again, a new audience that wouldn't find you elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And as you and I were talking about before we started recording, I cannot remember the exact percentage, but well more than half of all listeners are searching for podcasts on Google, as opposed to going right into Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts and searching there. So like they're looking up topics on Google and navigating to the episodes through Google. Mm. So I will have to look up that statistic later and talk about it in a, another episode but brilliant I mean, the yeah, thing about massive. google it well yeah and the thing about google is it, it's 90 percent of the search market it's mm -hmm. four billion users a day or something ridiculous i don't know the exact figures yeah. but it is massive and it is something that we live with every day using google maps using google search uh using youtube using google verticals such as the podcast and the videos and Google is bringing it all together. And if you think about what Google are trying to do, they're trying to get their user to the solution to the problem that they have as efficiently mm -hmm. as possible. So if my problem is I want a podcast, going to Google seems like a good way to do that. If Google can find the right podcast for me, and that is Google's aim, because that's what Google has done with the whole web. Why do 90% of the world use Google? Because Google has taken a massively messy web and organized it for us. Yeah. It's turned the complete mess that the web is. I mean, it, it really is badly organized because human beings are not well organized between us. And it's taken all of that and it's organized it to such an extent that generally speaking, it gets it right. Mm -hmm. So what it can do with the world, it can certainly do with podcasts. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your book, please. Yeah, I wrote a book called The Fundamentals of Brand Search and Business. It's right behind me here. And the idea of that book was to take what I have learned over the years about Google as your business card, but also, as I mentioned, Google as uh, an unbiased critique of your digital marketing strategy and how to leverage both improving your Google business card to improve your digital marketing 
to improve audience retention, audience conversion, and create a brand message on Google that makes sense to your audience that you control. And it was a delightful experience writing it. Um, I thought that my colleagues in the SEO industry would not ridicule the book, but certainly not take it very seriously and say, oh, this isn't geeky enough for us. And in fact, it was absolutely the opposite. Um, some very, 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 very smart people in the industry, Marie Haynes, who you won't know, but she's one of the smartest people in the world for f- figuring out how Google works, said she wished she'd read this book five years ago. Mm. And what's delightful is then I've given it to my clients who know nothing about SEO, and it makes total sense to them as well. That's so wonderful. I'm incredibly happy because I've I've hit that line of making something inaccessible, which is how to uh, educate Google, how to control Google, how to influence Google, and managed to write a book that isn't technical at all, that any marketer can follow, but still makes sense to the geeky people in the SEL world. And just to finish this off, I sound terribly self-satisfied. I had help from a delightful, delightful company called Bright Ray who helped me write the book, and a lady called Emily, And it was a lovely process, and if I may, I'll explain it to you, is that I had the courses, so I've got these brand SERP courses, and I thought they were understandable to anybody. So I gave her the scripts to the courses and said, I'll just turn that into a book, it'll be easy. And she rewrote the whole thing. (gasps) Wow. Because she's really keen, and she's delightful, and she's smart. And as I read what she, she was writing, I was thinking, but this is all wrong, she's misunderstood. And I realized that the courses weren't as simple as I thought they were. Mm. So she sent it to me back. I then rewrote it so that it was correct, mm-hmm. sent it back to her. And then she, fi- she finalized it all so that it was as pretty as possible. That's awesome. So we ended up, the fact that it's readable by anybody, understandable by anybody, and yet contains rich, valuable information for people who know their stuff about SEO and digital marketing is thanks to Emily in particular and Bright Ray, who were who were brilliant for that. Um, so you know, quick shout out to them because I absolutely love them. That's wonderful. And where can listeners find your book? Uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, it's on Google Books as well. Awesome. Um, part I of will... the reason I sorry. Mm-hmm. No, you go. Oh, part of the reason I wrote it was an experiment. Uh, my life is a continuous series of experiments to see what happens in Google's brain when I change something or add something. And I wanted to add a book and see what happened. Mm -hmm. And part of that was to get Google, who perceived me as a musician because I was a musician in the past, and I released multiple albums, and so it saw me as a musician. Then it saw me as an SEO consultant, and I wanted to see if I could get it to see me as an author. Now it sees me as an author. Wow. So it's basically me explaining to Google like I would to a child. I'm no longer a musician. I'm an SEO consultant. And then re-explaining, I'm no longer an SEO consultant. I'm an author. And the child is happy Mm -hmm. because it understands. All it needs is for me to be incredibly clear and incredibly consistent all across the web. It really isn't rocket science. This child is smart. All we need to do is help it to learn. That makes sense. Awesome. 
Well, I will put links to the book in the show notes and uh, tell us a little about what you do at CaliCube and what services you offer, please. Yeah, well, I mean, CaliCube is a a lovely agency that I created seven years ago, and I built a magic machine that goes out and it figures out where Google's getting its information from for each individual person or company. So you give me the name of the company or the person, I set the machine going, and in five minutes, it can give you a list of the top 50 places Google is finding information and facts about you. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was talking about consistency is you then go around and you correct all the information. Wow. So that it all co- corroborates what it is you're saying on your own website. That's when you're going to get the child to understand because all of us have this contradictory information around the web. So the machine was built purely to do that. And I spent seven years <laughs> trying to get other people to understand that that's a really good way of going about this. And literally the last year, it's taking off. Great. And so we have the agency platform, which is basically uh, digital marketing agencies come on and they use the platform to serve their clients. Mm. And then we have a done-for-you service where we use the platform as an agency ourselves. And a lady called Elisa, who's absolutely brilliant, um, leads the team there to help people and companies and even podcasts with managing and optimizing what appears when somebody Googles their brand name, making sure that their audience sees the brand message that that brand podcast or person wants them to see. Oh, that's fantastic. And how can listeners learn more about that? They can search my name, Jason Barnard, on Google, and you can choose how you interact with me. You can interact with me on Twitter, which is the second result, or on my own site, which is the first or do business with me, calicube.com will be the third result. And that's part of the art of brand SERP management. It's to make sure that Google is showing my audience all of the different aspects of me mm-hmm. and how you can interact with me and that you get to choose how you interact with me. You can also, if you want to do business with me straight away, search for CaliCube and that will show you all of the CaliCube offers, including the book, the courses, and the CaliCube Pro SaaS platform and the done-for-you service. So from my perspective, I spent years and years and years perfecting the Google business card for myself and for my company. Mm-hmm. So it should be, I hope, as we say, a piece of cake to find by searching my brand name how you would want to interact with me or my company. Very true. That's fantastic. Yeah, that is much easier than spelling out a URL for someone. Just or sell it, sending me. everybody to Facebook, which is what people used to do mm. on the posters in the streets. I never understood that. No. But yeah, you're right. Trying to spell out a link here is mm-hmm. is boring for everybody and difficult. Yeah. And I make spelling mistakes because my brain isn't sufficiently in gear at five o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. But saying, search my name, J A S O N. B-A-R-N-A-R-D. I'm never going to forget how to spell my own name or my company name, K-A-L-I-C-U-B-E. Well, I'm still <laughs> going to put links in the show notes and Brilliant. on this episode's page of my website. So y'all don't worry. <laughs> well, I, I've never thought about the idea of actually spelling uh, a domain with a URL. Yeah. And the fact that we're never going to forget to how to spell our own name, but I did al- almost forget how to spell CaliCube. Yeah. Yeah. And so finally, your podcast, 
with Jason Barnard. So what yep. do you do on your podcast? I um, already know, but tell us. Oh, right. I interview the most intelligent people in the world on the topic they like the most. And the, the challenge I throw to them to come on the podcast is you pick the topic that you get overexcited about because I get overexcited about absolutely everything I don't yet know. So mm -hmm. if you can teach me something and you're enthusiastic about it, we're going to have a great conversation. And I like to say the conversations are always interesting, always intelligent and always fun. Part of life for me is to enjoy the conversations like I've enjoyed the conversation today. Um, we don't have to laugh uh, uproariously all the time. Right. But the pleasure I have from a conversation like this with somebody who shares ideas with me and teaches me things is delightful. And one of the best things I've got from my podcast is that I've learned so much from so many smart people over the last 250 episodes. Mm. I hear you. Yeah. I have learned so much from having guests on my show as well. It's always such a, a joy and a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. And so two questions about your podcast. Right. What is a practical benefit that you've gotten out of podcasting? Um, I, the, I've, I've had two, I think, one of which is visibility on Google. Um, it's brought me quite a lot of visibility, not necessarily the visibility I expected, but certainly when people search around the topics that I discuss with my guests, I keep popping up. And with the red shirt, which I always wear, because of that branding, that very visual branding, people don't necessarily listen to the episodes when they see them on Google or even look at the visuals necessarily if it's in the Google images. But certainly the drip, 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 drip of seeing this red shirt and our very distinctive design means that when they do come to me, they feel like they know me. And when somebody feels like they know you, especially if they listen to the podcast, it's much, much, much easier to do business with them. True. That's great. And so what... it's all about getting to know you. Sorry, I was about to yes. sing the song oh, from uh, The Sound of Music. And then <laughs> no I singing, no copyright infringement. No, brilliant. Yep. Okay. Yeah. At least here, you know, in the States, big thing. So, um, sure. okay. And the what's been most rewarding, and you already did say learning from other people, but is there anything else? Um, most rewarding? Yeah, I, I would say a sense of achievement. Um, mm -hmm. when, you, when you can say 250 episodes, I remember recording that very, very, very first episode. And um, it seems both a long time ago and not very long ago at the same time. Mm -hmm. But the sense of achievement to have created four seasons, 250 episodes, um, probably 230 or 240 guests. We had a couple of re repeat guests because they had so much to share. Wow. Um, so that, that sense of achievement is, for me, incredibly valuable. And to have built something that has had an effect on the industry um, and has had, as I said, an effect on me uh, learning um, is, is incredibly, incredibly rewarding. Absolutely. So sense of achievement to have created a body of work that is meaningful, valuable, and helpful to my audience, and I hope to the world in general, contributing something positive. Totally. Yeah, I hear you on that. 
<laughs> well, thank you so much for being here today, Jason. This was fabulous. You just shared some really helpful information that we don't know enough about and don't do enough about. So I really appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much, Kelly. That was absolutely delightful. And I, I can actually sing the outro song from my own podcast because that's okay. me who wrote it. Wow. Well, that's very A quick cool. goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Jason. That was wonderful. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs>